Hi, looks like you made your way past the pro wrestling, around the basketball, didn't get distracted by the Rick and Morty means, and that means you're inside Micah Frankel's cage mind. It's time to talk about some MMA. Well, UFC 258 in the books. The welterweight title has been defended. The champion has been tested. But still, the king of the mountain, still on top of the UFC welterweight throne, Kamaru Usman, got buzzed by the right hand of Gilbert Burns early. Burns came out aggressive. But then after clipping Usman, didn't go for the kill. Usman was able to weather the storm, fight his way back behind his jab, then started to hurt Burns with his own overhand right to the point in the third round where the southpaw jab, changing his conventional stance and going to that unorthodox stance, the right jab drops Burns. Usman finds the finish on the ground. A great night for the UFC welterweight champion. He breaks George Rush St. Pierre's record. Now the record is 13 consecutive wins in the welterweight division. Now they've done it in different ways. Namely, people point out that GSP has done it with nine title fights and that Usman is only at four. Can't blame Usman for winning all the fights that's been offered. I can see the point, though, of when you start comparing GSP versus Usman for that welterweight goat, that GSP was the hunted for so long and that there is still some ground to be made up on that front from the Nigerian nightmare. Usman, though, in just annihilating Tyrone Woodley, beating down Colby Covington, beating Jorge Masvidal with a broken nose, and then recovering from the adversity and beating down Burns' former teammate. A lot of questions were answered, as far as I'm concerned, about the greatness of our current welterweight champion. And it's hard to see who's going to really challenge him. What is the next challenge for Kamaru Usman? And I think one of the more attractive options is the guy we were just mentioning. Has Usman got into that range, into that area of existence of welterweight supremacy where he's challenging Georgia St. Pierre for that GOAT status? And it's a perfect time to bring up GSP. I mean, we were just talking about would he come out of retirement to fight Habib Nurmagomedov. And that fight, apparently, one of the hiccups right away was George talking about, well, I'm older now. I don't want to cut as much weight. This is a guy that didn't want to cut as much weight, returned to 185, and then said he was too small to continue competing at 185, entertaining the thought of 155. Right in the middle there is 170. So maybe if there was to be a return of George St. Pierre, the most logical division would be the division that he's always been in. Now, GSP has actually went on record and has said that he is not fully enthused and would not is really not motivated by the idea of fighting Kamaru Usman. Kind of surprising to me. The guy's been dominant, won 13 in a row in your division, getting close to all your records. Now, I understand not wanting to be a hater, not wanting to be a spoiled sport. Why are you going to hate 
on everybody that gets close to your records. But talking about Nurmagomedov, how couldn't you see other intriguing matchups? Nurmagomedov, 28-0. Israel Adesanya, 20-0. Kamaru Usman, 18-1. Yes, lost his second professional fight and has been untouchable since then. Intriguing what motivates GSP and what doesn't. But Usman is a bad matchup, a guy that can counter-wrestle, a guy that has this intimidating presence, a Dutch kickboxing style, has gotten hurt, been able to recover, is a nasty presence in the clinch with his foot stomps and knees to the sternum, great uppercuts. Maybe it's the leverage of the fight game. And we've seen that GSP, he likes to put himself in advantageous positions. Maybe that's what's deterring him from wanting to take a fight with Kamaru Usman. But what is Usman to do? You are the champion, and everybody's going to be looking at you for what's the next move. Well, this is where the picture of the welterweight division starts to get a little muddled. But thankfully, the champion already helped us out. Because you look at the top 10 and Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards once upon a time, Jorge Masvidal, Tyrone Woodley. There are names that we've already seen fight Usman and Usman's already beat him, beat them. Where is he to go next? Well, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson ranked at number five is waving his hand. Hey, I'm coming off a win. And you ain't fought me yet. You ain't beat me. Kudos to Thompson on the savvy ploy. The attempt to put himself back in title contention. We know that as he's into his, I believe, late 30s, if not early 40s for Wonder Boy, who's Wonder Man at this point, he would like another opportunity at that UFC welterweight strap, and nobody could blame him. But like I said, the champion had already helped us out. In his post-fight speech, besides telling everybody like they should, put some respect on his name. 13 consecutive victories in the UFC, a 17-fight win streak, 18-1 record, and 4-0 now in UFC title fights. That's all very impressive to me. And Man, if he's not in your top five of your pound-for-pound rankings right now, I don't know what's your problem. He's probably top three if we're talking about active fighters. With the retirement of Habib Nurmagomedov, you'd be thinking Jones, Adesanya, and Usman, right? The three best fighters on the planet? Uh, Let me know if I'm wrong on that one. But what's the next best thing besides being on a win streak? Because we really can't say that any of these welterweights are on a win streak. It's being the guy that can talk the best. It's being the guy that can talk so much that you're an annoyance and a hindrance. And we can't forget that Gilbert Burns due to COVID, was not able to make that UFC 251 date, but Jorge Masvidal did. And Jorge Masvidal has brilliantly went on a campaign that has led to the verbal retaliation and response that Usman had to give in his post-fight speech after beating Gilbert Burns at UFC 258. Instead of relishing in his glory, he gave attention back to the BMF back to a guy that was able to go the distance with him on day's notice, maybe two weeks' notice, something like that. Day's notice, I broke your nose. Supposedly, Usman already headed into UFC 251 with that broken nose. He says, knock him out with 
weeks with a full camp. We'll put him in the grave. The trash talk that Masvidal implemented has ignited a fire and a fury in Usman that will lead us to seeing these two squaring off, giving us the answer that we're looking for. What's next for the welterweight champion? It's going to be Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. Masvidal was able to to get the ire, the anger that much. And the UFC loves it because now we have ready-made coaches for the return of the Ultimate Fighter. I believe it's going to be on ESPN+. The UFC had been angling for Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal to coach the Ultimate Fighter this upcoming season. For some reason, that's not been able to come together. And now apparently, Usman versus Masvidal is in the driver's seat for those two to be the coaches. And tough. And we'll see them fight here. What, fall, maybe winter? So now we have our answer of what's next for Kamaru Usman. But it leaves us with another question. Well, Colby Covington had long been predicting that he was going to be settling this long-time grudge and beef with Jorge Masvidal. That apparently is off the table. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is still hanging out there, and that may be the guy that Covington has to face. But, oh, wait. We have breaking news due to still the effects of COVID-19. Kazumat Chimaev has had to withdraw from a scheduled main event bout against Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards, don't forget, the last guy he lost to some like eight fights ago back in 2015 was Kamaru Usman. Loses to Usman, has now won eight in a row. We haven't seen him, though, since July of 2019, beating Rafael de Sanos by unanimous decision. Not his fault that COVID canceled this fight with Tyrone Woodley. Edwards test positive for COVID, canceling his December bout with Chimaev. And now Chimaev has tested positive, and due to lingering effects, the fight has been canceled from January and March. The UFC reportedly still wanting to keep Edwards on the March UFC fight night card, that from March 13th. It's about time, like we said, hasn't fought since July of 2019, and the man is on an eight-fight win streak. Should be one of the hottest names in the welterweight division. Currently should be a name on the tip of everybody's tongue. And MMA insiders have been saying that for over the last year that you cannot forget about Leon Edwards, how good he is, how this win streak has looked. But now he doesn't have an opponent. We just said there's a ready-made opportunity. Colby Covington no longer linked to Jorge Masvidal. How would you get Covington back into the title picture? Fight with Leon Edwards, who's ranked number three in the UFC welterweight contender rankings and independent rankings have him ranked number six in the world. That seems like a pretty sound strategy and clear path right back to title contention. But with the fight being on short notice, it'll be about four weeks from right now when I'm recording, Colby Covington has instead of deciding to implement a grinded-out wrestling game plan and just head on into the fight, has instead went to his second-best well-being. His verbal acumen, his ability to talk, said that he is a big-game fighter, that he is a prize fighter, fighting the upper echelons of the division, and that nobody remembers who Edwards is, making him an 
a not a viable opponent for somebody of Covington's stature and leaving Edwards out in the wind once again. It's probably a pretty shrewd way to not put yourself in a bad situation because for sure, if Edwards was to beat Covington, that elevates him right into mouthing off of why don't I get Usman next? Why are you giving it to Jorge Masvidal? If it was on a full camp, maybe we would hear different from Colby, but that's what he's went with right now. So we put ourselves in the UFC shoes, the Leon Edwards shoes. You need an opponent for March 13th. Well, let's look at the rankings again. Colby said no. Usman just fought. You're not getting a title fight that soon. Burns just lost to Usman. Masvidal's working on the Usman fight. Thompson, they're waving his hands. He offered, but they would have to postpone the date of Edwards getting in the octagon to fight Thompson, who is still recovering from some hand injuries, dropped to number six, and this becomes the most interesting person we can talk about. It's up to Michael Chiesa to save the day for Leon Edwards. And for Chiesa, you're calling out Covington. You don't like Covington. If Covington doesn't accept the fight with Edwards, which he's not doing, it's a pretty viable option that he'd have to accept your call-out seeing as there's an injured wonder boy Thompson. But how about you just take the fight with Leon Edwards, jump in there on four weeks' notice, coming off of a win over Neil Magny, where we saw dominant grappling and improved striking out of Chiesa. You're on a win streak. You are the hottest name at 170 as far as a win streak right now, and having been active, you take out the guy with the next longest win streak. I think that's the viable option. You see and you put the pressure on if Michael Chiesa will jump up to take on Leon Edwards and you sell him that a win here vaults him over everybody and makes him the number one contender. That's the way you save the UFC fight night on March 13th because as we keep looking down the rankings at 7's Woodley. Woodley is matched up with 10. Vicente Luque, I don't see a reason for either one of them to want to switch off of that. Damian Maya, is he still competing? Neil Magny just lost to Michael Chiesa. Jeff Neal, he lost to Wonder Boy. Don't know how his eye is doing from that orbital bone break. Li Jingling was just called out by Bilal Muhammad, but Muhammad can't take this fight on short notice probably due to man, his calf looked like a grapefruit, even victory over Diego Lima because for Muhammad jumping up to Edwards, you get the number three guy in the world, you get a main event showcase. I think any of those guys should jump on it if it's Muhammad, if it's Lee, and I think it's Michael Chiesa's fight. He has to make this fight happen, and he has to give himself that opportunity to become the number one contender. I think with Covington balking, on the Masvidal fights, not able to make the tough scenario work, not accepting the short notice fight with Leon Edwards. You probably sideline yourself waiting for an opportunity at Gilbert Burns or Wonderboy Thompson. So the UFC welterweight division, a fun little picture right now. These are some fun fights to make if Dana White and the co- and company, Sean Selby and Mick Maynard, can get all of these things signed, sealed, and delivered. Something that was kind of glossed over in recent weeks that I wanted to touch on is that Stephen A. Smith is one of the biggest voices, best journalists, most known, most, what is it, uh, charismatic and polarizing 
figures in sports media. But it's hard for me to look at somebody that wants to see development, improvement, and more inclusion in some sports. When you call out some leagues for how they handle coaching decisions, front office decisions, not giving minorities opportunities, but in the same right, you want to bash women's combat sports. And I'm not sure if he was just talking about MMA. Hopefully he was, because I can't imagine Stephen A. Smith disrespecting Layla Lee and Carlos Shields in the same manner. But it's despicable to be disrespecting Zhang Wei Li, Amanda Nunez, Valentina Shevchenko, Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg, to say anything demeaning of the sport of mixed martial arts and the women that participate, that devote their time, their effort, their lives. They choose to be martial artists. They choose to be these entertainers. And as a member of the sports media, where we try to do better for everybody in the landscape of sports media, it's just sickening and disgusting to hear him with any discriminative or disparaging words towards any of it and to say I wouldn't watch it to give anybody the influence that they shouldn't watch it that you don't like watching women fight not every opinion that comes to your mouth should really come out of your mouth some things need to be kept to yourself and more respect needs to go out to all the women in mixed martial arts not even touching on the craziness of what happened of how men were speaking about Megan Anderson who should only be spoken of right now as either in gamer terms, because I know she's big into that world, or as the featherweight women's contender for the title who has a world title opportunity on March 6th. That's the only terms in which you should be talking about her. It's sickening to see what women are having to go through in the sports landscape, how to get that out. Don't know if you guys missed it. This story also needs to be acknowledged needs to be talked about uh it's scary and we know that this isn't a game combat sports right it's a fight it's not a game you're not out there playing an mma game you can call it a match but it's nothing like a tennis match and you think about those residual long lasting consequences and if you haven't seen it already Frank Yeager, since his loss to Corey Sanhagen, that epic flying knee that was perfectly landed by Sanhagen, you see the epic achievement of victory, and you see Edgar out cold in defeat. But how does that go on afterwards? You see the guy up and awake and moving, and everybody's able to breathe a sigh of relief. And then you hear later that Frank Yeager kind of more comes to in medicals. And has to turn to his coaches like, whoa, what happened? Like, I understand I already fought, but like, what happened? You got knocked out. And Edgar even to the point where when he's coming to, not when he's coming to to where they're allowed to stand, but where his brain is really catching up with time, planet, and space. He doesn't remember the camp. He doesn't remember the walkout. He doesn't remember what month it is. And it wasn't until, if you read the story, he's in the ambulance and somebody tells him the month that he, boom, I was training for Corey Sanhagen. It all comes back to him. But he can't remember the fight. He can't remember the walkout. When you think about these lapses in time, 
that occur to fighters after these knockouts, that's where you're talking about the real damage. What detriment is done to the brain after the fight, and it's scary. And I thought it on fight night when we saw Overeem knocked out from Volkov, when we saw Edgar knocked out by Sanhagen, I had tweeted, is this the last time that we see them compete? I'm not somebody trying to shove guys out the door, put them on the couch, throw them in the retirement home long before they're ready. It's watching people and the reactions. It's watching the way they're knocked out. It's seeing a story later that they don't remember. There was a regional fighter that I remember talking to once, and he said that he knew it was time to retire because he had a fight. He went to the fight. He lost the fight by TKO. But he didn't come to until he was in the crowd later after being checked out by medical and was with his significant other and was like, why am I with you? Aren't I supposed to be in the back getting ready to fight? And that person had to tell him, you already fought. You lost. Don't you remember? And to have already have went in the back, changed, done your medicals, been brought back through the crowd, said hi to a bunch of people, been sitting there enjoying the event, and then to come to... It's the scary effects of combat sports, and it must be acknowledged. And when we think about some of the torrent paces, three, four, five fights a year, maybe less is more. And maybe I'm promoting an early retirement. It's just something, I'm not even sure if I'm doing that right now. It's just a story that I really feel it can't be overlooked when you see what really Frankie Edgar was giving for our entertainment, that that was a, a couple brain cells that were extra damaged. And to hear that story, that was a big one that can't go unnoticed. Move on to some lighter notes. We touched on the craziness going on with the UFC welterweight division. Let's look over at the Lightweight division, lighten things up a little bit. There's some new news on Habib Nurmagomedov. The Eagle, the lightweight champion of the UFC, who has not been stripped yet, that reportedly is still firm into his retirement, has made another business move. If you'll already remember, he's bought a farm. He has started the initiative to initiate Eagle Mobile, his own cellular mobile company, Eagle FC, his new promotion, is up well. He's joking that he may try to put together the Fedor-Brock Lesnar fight for in Russia. And he's announced now in Makachev, which I believe is in Dagestan, that he'll be opening up a coffee shop in the coming weeks. A thriving entrepreneur who I feel is still less and less likely to once again be a UFC mixed martial artist. It's that same level with Conor McGregor. When you're making money in so many other avenues, why are you going to continue to try to make money by beating your brains in, by cutting weight, by going through these hard camps when being the guy signing the checks is a lot easier than the guy breaking his knuckles? Bellator has made a move, recently moving from... Paramount to CBS Sports Network. There was that little stop in between with DAZN. Bellator 
has now moved to Showtime. They've hopped within the Viacom family, a Viacom entity themselves, and now they're going to be on Showtime. First time that MMA returns to Showtime since 2013, where Scott Croker's Strike Force used to be, now to be Scott Croker's Bellator. Bellator going to be coming out hot and heavy to kick off April, and the light heavyweight Grand Prix has everybody's attention. I feel like Vadim Nevkov, the light heavyweight champion of the world, is automatically being overlooked where names like Anthony Rumble Johnson and Ryan Bader, the heavyweight champion, are starting to grab headlines. Even Corey Anderson, who, man, love that dude. He had the magnificent debut with the promotion, but let's not count the champion out. We've only seen him win and beat guys up in that Bellator cage. It is affirmative and confirmed if you haven't heard the news, that in August, John Bones Jones will be fighting the winner of UFC 260's main event, the Stipe Miocic Francis Ngannou 2 heavyweight title match. So John Jones had a heavyweight, and as he should, getting that immediate title fight. So things are picking up and gaining steam here in 2021 in the heavyweight division. Not to mention this weekend, don't forget about it, number two versus number four, Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. I think the winner there is going to end up having a weight and match up with the winner of Jair Rosenstruck versus Surreal Gone. Getting excited though. These are some good fights, people. Be excited about the future of the heavyweight division. And last but not least, this one I like a lot. There's rumors that TJ Dillashaw versus his old coach and mentor Uriah Faber is in the works. That so we could be seeing that one somewhere between May to July. Still trying to get that one negotiated out. And I really like the sounds of it because when the return from two years on steroid suspension for TJ Dillashaw was being dangled out there. It seemed like the UFC was searching for feelers to see if they could give him a top five, top ten opponent right out the gate. And there wasn't much intrigue. That's what the matchup of Faber-Dillashaw tells me, or that those rumors were being perpetuated by the Dillashaw camp trying to get their fighter back into that world title echelon. We don't know how long Dillashaw was skating the system. We don't know how long he was cheating other fighters for. So I really think there's a big question about the validity of his success. Are we going to take it away from his resume? No. But does he have to earn his way back to a number in a ranking? I really feel he has to, especially when you're caught with EOP, when you're on the Lance Armstrong stuff. We saw how that made Lance Armstrong the best of the best. Imagine if that was the same case for TJ Dillashaw, that he may have been just the top 20, top 30 Bantamweight instead of the best Bantamweight in the world. Maybe just a top 15. Maybe I'm selling him short. But to see the UFC trying to book him in a fight that gives intrigue because of that backstory, I think is a much smarter move than just trying to force him to the upper echelons of the division. Let's make TJ Dillashaw earn it. And the snake that he is, if he's really coiled up to strike, he will. He'll take down the foes and he'll eventually be back in a title fight. But I love the sound of seeing him and Faber hash out all those hurt feelings from when Dillashaw left the team, followed Ludwig, and went to Colorado. It's been way too long in the making. Micah Frankel's Cage Minds is presented to you by CageMinds.com. Cage Minds MMA show 
cageminds.com. We have a variety of advertising and paid partnerships available. And you know, like everything you listen to, everything you watch, if you could please like this episode, subscribe to the channel, and share this on your social media, it'd be much appreciated. Thanks for taking this trip through my caged mind.